nasceu um dia Quando o vento mal polia E o céu mal prolongava Welcome to the Portugal podcast. My name is Matthew Marshall and this is a very special edition of the Portugal podcast. It's game day. Portugal are hosting Serbia at the Estadio de Luz in Lisboa in the final 2022 World Cup qualifier. Both teams are locked on 17 points. Portugal with the advantage in the uh, the goals. So a win or a draw will give them a ticket to Qatar. A loss or a Serbia win will see Portugal go into the playoffs. I'm in a restaurant called Fogo de Chão, which is a rodizio, which is a Brazilian all-you-can-eat meat restaurant in Cascais, which is a few kilometers west of Lisboa. And we've just finished eating here. I think some of us require a stretcher to get out of here, and maybe one or two of us could use an ambulance. And I just wanted to... Uh, talk to some of the people here and see what they thought about this lovely meal. We've got Mr. Mr. Zach Lowy here who's uh, just 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 broken his rodizio virginity here. He's absolutely crushed it. He's uh, he's got a whole mountain of food here. Remnants of a caipirinha. Uh, some fruit salad hasn't been eaten. But uh, you know when I was talking about that uh, that ambulance, I think we're uh, I, th I think we've got the prime candidate right here. So Zach, how did it go, man? How are you feeling? Oh uh, man, feeling good. Glad I made the trip to Kaiskais. Got a pretty bl uh, uh, elevated blood alcohol content, but feeling pretty good. <laughs> Hopefully, surviving to make the trip to the Portugal Serbia match. And uh, yeah, great company, great food. I'll survive, but it's not going to be easy. <laughs> it looks like. Uh, We've managed to source you a ticket, mate. How are you? How happy are you to be able to uh, to go and see this match live? Oh, mate, I'm fucking buzzing. I mean, I was expecting going to the bar and you know checking it out, but you know going to the match live back to the Luge, it's fucking incredible, man. And uh, you know, must-win match. We need to, you know, just beat Serbia, show their, show our dominance. Um, I'm absolutely buzzing. You know, I've never been to a high-stakes international match quite like this. I've been to a few World Cup matches, but I think this is a bit different. Uh, you know, Serbia are a very tough opponent. Uh, it is definitely not going to be easy. So, I'm absolutely buzzing to be in the Stadio de Luz uh, with some great mates, with you know, some great football. Unfortunately for Zach, he's here with some experienced uh, Rodizio campaigners. And uh, we knew that we needed to get here early because uh, chan chances of a lie-down were going to be required this afternoon, and we factored that all in, which is going to be very beneficial here for the rookie, the rookie from the USA, who's broken his Rodizio duck. Okay, who else we got here? Mr. Tom Cundit, Godfather of Portugal, unbelievable. Tom, mate, what's, what's going? On? What's going on? How'd you, how'd, you, how'd you go with that Rodizio, man? Ah, uh, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, good preparation to what should be a brilliant night tonight. So, yeah, I think I only need about four or five hours to recover from that. That should be. Nice, mate. I mean, as I said, we've got the, the ambulance out there. We've got the, sh the stretchers <laughs> waiting. Are you going to require any of those? How, how are you going? Uh, I think they called up for Zach, didn't they? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, well, as you know, like, the trip to Luz is not that far, so I'm sure he'll be fine. Let's talk about the game, Tom. Obviously, this uh, performance against Ireland was, uh, was ugly, a match to forget. But um, 
This is huge. This is massive stakes. This is the biggest game for Portugal since uh, since they bowed out of Euro 2020. How optimistic are you? How are you feeling? Yeah, well, I told you, Matt, after the game against Ireland, I'm actually quite optimistic. You know, a lot of pessimistic talk after that game. Portugal really did play awfully. But this is what Portugal do, isn't it? You know, they play against uh, kind of average sides or even poor sides. They do badly. They struggle. They kind of just don't seem to be able to motivate themselves. Uh, get to the right level when it's crunch time they normally come through it you know especially in qualifying i mean some i think some of the best games in the you know last 20 years or so have been you know the playoff games where you know real tense occasion and portugal have just got the job done and i expect them to do that i wouldn't actually be surprised if portugal put in a really good performance today and uh, i'd expect them to win it maybe by two or three goals well there you go Optimistic stuff there from Tom Cunnett. Thanks for your time there, Tom. I'm going to um, head over the table here. Here we got Mr. Miguel. That's Mr. Miguel. I mean, looks can be deceiving, ladies and gentlemen. So be aware next time you go to, to Rodizio, the least likely man to outlast is probably going to be the man to do just that, and he's done it. I've got to say, the, the Rodizio Award goes to Miguel. Miguel, you crush it. Take us through your preparation. How did you do it? Oh, you just got to get your head down and keep going. Uh, just uh, don't, don't worry about the pain. Don't worry about the, uh, the, the difficulties. You've got to get your head down and look at, look at the end of the road and aim for it. And, 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 you missed out on like, the first ten minutes, by the way. So, like, <laughs> saying, crowning him the champion, I think, is Ten-minute ten toilet break at the beginning is what he's saying, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> clear, clear your stomach. <laughs> clear your stomach, yeah. There's the, 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 the definite shady stuff going on here, but, you know. The Rodizio Award is, is very prestigious. There's no, no, foul, no foul play, I guarantee. No foul play. <laughs> all right. It's all part of the preparation for the game. And, uh, and uh, looking forward to it. Trying, trying to get rid of the pessimistic Portuguese background that I have. Hoping that it won't be nil-nil. And uh, going into extra time, we're worried that Serbia will nick one. So hopefully uh, Tom's right. Hopefully we'll win it by two or three. I'd, I'd love it if that was the case. But I'm expecting it to be very, very tight. Very, very close, and I'm expecting us to keep to keep it. I'm expecting him to keep us guessing until the very last minute. But one way or another, I hope we'll be there. Very nice, thanks, Miguel. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Two spectrums with the uh, the super optimistic and the old-fashioned Portuguese pessimism. There, lovely, lovely to hear it. Well, that's. Well, anyway, we're going to sign off here from Fogwater Shower. It's a lovely day, blue sky, and uh, yeah, we need to walk off some of this uh, Rodizio and uh, head down to the beach. So, uh, yeah, we'll check you as we get uh, closer to the Estadio de Luz later this afternoon. Just approaching... Estadio da Luz. As you can imagine, a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation outside the stadium. People going nuts. Portuguese scarves all over the place, Portuguese jerseys. It's a huge day. And all the people that don't have tickets right now are uh, definitely wishing they did. We're about 20 minutes away from team lineups. And uh, we'll have know a lot more about Fernando Santos's strategy for the uh, big game against Serbia. Talk to you soon. 
We've taken our seats in the Estadio de Luz and their lineups have been announced. No surprises in the defence with Nuno Mendes on the left, Ruben Diaz next to Jose Font and Joao Cancelo on the right-hand side. But a few changes in midfield, Tom. We've got Joao Moutinho in midfield and Danilo. He's come in for Pal Nina. And we've also got Renato Sanchez, who comes in for Bruno Fernandes. Jota, he's in for Gedge. Renato starting up front and Bernardo Silva. He'll start on the right. I guess the main thing is uh, Danilo in for Palinha. I'm guessing that's all to do with experience, Tom. Yeah, it's a big surprise. I must admit that one did surprise. I suppose there's two selections which are quite surprising in this lineup: dropping Bruno Fernandes and dropping Joel Palinha. I mean... Uh, uh, Matt, we were just, what, one month ago in the Algarve, eulogising Polina after the performance he put in, uh, you know, in, the, in that game against uh, Luxembourg. He just looks all over the place, and uh, he's been really great since he's been playing for Portugal. But, yeah, I suppose the only reason he's gone for Danilo must be the experience, because uh, he's been in these situations, at all, uh, you know, a lot of times. He's, uh, of course, he scored his... <laughs> Uh, maybe coincidentally he scored probably his best goal of his entire career against Serbia here a few years ago I must admit it's for me that is still a surprise that decision especially when you consider that there were six guys on the risk of a yellow card and uh, Palinha was the only one to start I mean that was yeah. another sign that well, maybe, maybe he decided you know maybe he decided as, as early back as Thursday that Danilo would be starting this game there you go so I guess the other one Tom is uh, Renato Sanchez not a real big surprise that he's starting um, and really not that much of a surprise that he's come in for Bruno Fernandes. We've mentioned so many times that he's just not really replicating that form we see from Manchester United on the international stage. But I guess this also means that uh, Portugal can go with a 4-3-3. Or if they start to get on top and one of those midfielders needs to push up, then Sanchez will be that man. So in a way, you could just say that this is going to be a 4-2-3-1 a lot of the time with Sanchez in that Bruno Fernandes role. What do you make of that? Sanchez coming in for Bruno Fernandes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Also, you know, giving a, you know, a bit more muscle also there in that in that midfield. But yeah, you know, you just put the, you know, you hit the nail on the head, Matt. Uh, Bruno Fernandes has been tearing it up for four or five years now in club football. Best player in Portugal by a country mile. Couple of seasons goes to the Premier League. Just looks absolutely brilliant every, you know, every game. Just about just hasn't done it for Portugal. You know, it's a bit of a mystery. Some people blame. Fernando Santos, some people, you know, blame, I don't know what, or just kind of scratch their heads and can't, can't quite work it out. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is Bruno Fernandes in a Portugal shirt has not delivered. He's really been very disappointing. Renato Sanchez, almost the opposite to Bruno Fernandes. You know, he normally does a good job, doesn't he, when he plays for Portugal. You could argue he's Portugal's best player in the Euros. So, yeah, uh, you know, that I must admit that change doesn't surprise me so much as the Danilo one. Yeah, and so in attack we've got uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course. We've got Bernardo Silva. He had that little uh, injury problem against Adam. He's back in the side. And Diogo Jota, really no surprises there at all. I'm guessing uh, those guys will have a lot of rotation and they will uh, they will switch positions quite a lot. What are your thoughts about that front three? Yeah, I think so. Also, just looking at the bench also, you know, well, I, I, I think, you know, we looked at this lineup, didn't we, Matt? And we said, you know... <laughs> A little bit of Santos, I suppose, his default. He does tend to be on the cautious side. You could argue this is a bit of a cautious lineup. And uh, yeah, but you know, it's such a crunch game. I think it's just gone for a lot of experience, like you say, Danilo, Moutinho, you know, Ronaldo. Just look at the Fontam, Rui Patricio. You've got players there, all of them, 100 plus caps or edging towards 100 caps. 
I think one thing we didn't mention also is that with Danilo in the team, there is that option for him to drop back yeah. when Portugal don't have the ball and, and to line up with the back three. Yeah. And so that's maybe another uh, factor that's come into Santos' thinking. Of course, we've seen him play Danilo in the central defence position, so that might have been something he's had up his sleeve for quite a while. Tell you what, Matt, it's really interesting you say that because we're looking here at the official team sheet. Uh, I think it's produced by the FBF, and so they've got Portugal lined up in 4-3-3, and it looks like that when you look at the players. But like you just said, this you know every or so there's been so many calls for Portugal to play free at the back. You know with the wing backs, João Cancelo, Nuno Mendes, perfectly suited to that kind of system. So yeah, even for, even if that isn't the start. That isn't how Portugal, you know, line up at the start. You know, it might actually kind of organically work that way. Danilo, you know, uh, push back a little bit and then the, uh, yeah, the wing-backs really push on. Players have just finished their warm-up. There's about 15 minutes to kick off. Really looking forward to this one. I've never heard the Portuguese national anthem sung with such gusto. Tremendous atmosphere in Lisboa. The FPF have uh, done their best with uh, thousands of uh, flags which are waving all around the stadium. Tremendous atmosphere here and we're about to kick off. Unbelievable stuff here. Uh, in less than two minutes, Renato Sanchez has the ball in the back of the net. Bernardo Silva robbed Gudelia. Sanchez picked it up, ran into the box, beat the keeper, and it's a goal. It's been given. Unbelievable stuff. Absolute nightmare from the holding midfielder from Serbia. Portugal off to an absolute flyer here. And the referee going over to give Serbia... Manager, the yellow card, it looks like here. Absolute terrible start for the visitors. Seven minutes in here, and Joao Cancelo has just picked up a yellow card, going in for a challenge. And uh, he's not too happy about it, and I'm not sure why he expects the referee <laughs> to uh, rescind his uh, decision. Oh, wow. Serbia have gone close to equalising here in the 12th minute. Milenkovic-Savic into Dusan Vlahovic. And he's rifled it from his left foot, smacked it against the post. It's come straight back to him. And he's blasted the follow-up over the bar. Portugal really need to uh, tighten up here. You've got Milenkovic-Savic playing in an advanced role. And, um, yeah, Vlahovic way too much space there. It's all happening here at the Estadio de Luz. Portugal are broken free. Milenkovic has taken out Yoga Jota and got a yellow card for his efforts. Free kick just outside the, uh, the 18-yard box. I don't have to tell you who's going to take this one. Well, he got it over the wall for a change, but unfortunately couldn't bring it down. And that's gone just over the bar.
33 minutes in here and Serbia have equalised. You have to say it was coming. Portugal have been sitting far too deep, just inviting Serbia into their own half. And this time it was uh, Filip Kostic. The ball's fallen to Dusan Tadic and he's made a bit of space, fired the shot in. It's taken a deflection off Danilo and it's wrong-footed Patricio who got a hand to it but then the ball just rolling over the line. Tom, that goal from Serbia was basically coming. Portugal have been sitting deeper and deeper after taking the lead and uh, Serbia with all the initiative. Yeah, certainly they've been picking their passes. You know, they've just been finding it far too easy, I think, to push Portugal back and, you know, pass the ball around near the edge of the 18-yard box, getting on the flanks, getting into the box. So, like, you, you just said it a few times, Matt, during the game. Serbia going to score, Serbia going to score soon, and they did. You know, not looking too good at the moment. Unbelievable stuff. 41st minute, the keeper, Serbia keepers, has had a nightmare. He spilled it in his six-yard box. The ball's found its way back to João Moutinho. And his shot has been blocked. Portugal back on top here with a few minutes to go before the break. Whoa. Danilo's just headed over the bar. He wants, uh, he wants the call to go his way, but it's not going to happen. It's all happening at Lisboa. time at the Estadio de Luz with Portugal and Serbia tied 1-1. Very interesting half of football. The first 15 minutes or so was just electric. Serbia started to take over. They equalised. Looked like they were about to continue to stay on top but then Portugal really uh, came alive in the, the final few minutes before the break. We saw Gudelia completely fall asleep. I don't know what he was thinking mate. You're in Lisboa, World Cup qualifier. And uh, Bernardo Silva just robbed him. Bernardo Sanchez picked up the ball and scored. And then as we, uh, as we kind of anticipated in a way, Portugal just sat back so, so deep. Serbia kept coming, kept coming. And actually they were threatening down the right wing, but the goal came from the left wing with Kostic, the ball coming in, the ball falling to Dusan Tadic. Stepped inside, took a shot, took a deflection, and actually Patricio got both hands to it, but he spilled it and the ball just trickled over the line. And then, uh, yeah, Portugal came, came home strong. Bernardo Silva has just been electric. He's been Portugal's best player by a long way. His combinations with uh, Sanchez on the right have been really promising. And, uh, but, yeah, it's been a bit alarming uh, what Portugal have done since they took the lead. Tom, how did you see the first half? Yeah, well, you just summed it up there, Matt, I think. The, you know, dream start for Portugal, wasn't it? Two minutes in, they get the lead. You know, you thought, you know, that's the perfect platform to go on. But they just... I think it's just psychological, mentally. You know, you could even see Fernando Santos on the sidelines telling his players to push up, don't sit so deep. But they didn't, you know, and they just let Serbia come at them, come at them. And, uh, you know, really, also, I thought it's quite alarming. They, they left them in quite a lot of space. I think especially Nuno, Len, uh, Nuno Mendes on the left, always left Sivkovic with, you know, he had 10 or 15 yards to work with whenever the ball came to him. And uh, so it's kind of inevitable that Serbia got the equaliser. You, you have to say it wasn't such a surprise. Although, you know, looking at the replays, you know, Rui Patricio won't like looking at that. I think even given the deflection, he really should have kept that out. 
I think what we're seeing here in the last two games is really the fact that, you know, when players know what the what result they need, it's just so easy to fall into a, a pattern of being passive. Um, you know, it's very easy to sit there at home and, and say push up, push up, and it just it just shows you that uh, a certain mentality kicks in. You know, but it's certainly disappointing. But hopefully now, after a good finish to the first half, they can kick on. I thought Diogo Jota was a bit poor. I don't think it'll be too long before we see Joao Felix come on for him. And Joao Moutinho hasn't really done a whole lot. So, again, it wouldn't be a surprise to him to see him uh, replaced, I would say, around the 60-minute mark. So, yeah, as you mentioned, Nuno Mendes was getting targeted a fair bit by Zivkovic, but then the play seemed to switch over to the left side. And uh, that's where the goal came from. So, really a lot to look forward to here in the second half. And uh, we'll see what happens here in Lisboa. Second half started here, and uh, Gudelia holding midfielder who made that error. But Portugal's goal has been hooked. Alexandra Mitrovic, striker, is on. So, very attacking move here for the visitors. They're going for it. Fifty-two minutes in here, extremely good chance for Portugal. Renato Sanchez picks the ball up inside Serbia's half, drives forward, beats a couple of defenders, steps inside, bit of a heavy touch there, and uh, the goalkeeper can come out and uh, smother the shot. Great start to the second half. Pretty much all of Portugal's positive play continues to come down that right-hand side through. Renato Silva and Renato Sanchez. We just saw Sanchez win possession, release Bernardo, who gave the ball back to him, but his shot was straight at the uh, Serbia goalkeeper. Dogo Jot has been really poor today, and I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, here we go. Two changes for Fernando Santos in the 64th minute. We've got uh, Palinha replacing João Moutinho and Bruno Fernandes replacing Bernardo Silva who looks like he might have picked up a knock. Kind of surprising, Diogo Jota still on the pitch. He really hasn't done much tonight. So we've got about 30 minutes to go here to study the lose. Still 1-1. And uh, that ticket to Qatar, still well and truly on the line. Substitute for Serbia here, actually. we got number 15, Udoš Spajic. And it looks like he's coming on for Velkovic. Fifteen minutes to go here in Lisboa. Joel Palnina has made a really positive impact since coming off the bench. The game seems to be opening up quite a bit, as you would expect. So it's interesting to see how Serbia will uh, approach this with uh, a win required to, uh, to get that ticket to Qatar. Uh-oh. Oh. 
83rd minute. Kostic with the cross. Vlahovic with the glancing header. Just past the post. Couple of subs here. Portugal, of course. Diogo Jota. He's uh, lasted a lot longer than uh, than I expected. Just not his night. And it's Ralph Felix coming on. We've also got Ruben Neves. Looks like he'll probably come on for Renato Sanchez, who took a knee to the lower back, and he's worked really hard, but he's just run out of gas. So Portugal with about another 10 minutes, including added time to hold on here in Lisboa. this at all and there it is you've almost got to say it was coming again Serbia have scored in the last minute Dusan Tadic sends the cross in. And Mitrovic, basically unmarked at the back post, heads it hard and into the ground and past Patricio. And you can imagine here the crowd have uh, gone quiet. And I don't know how many Serbian supporters are in the house today, but pretty much they're the ones making the noise so here we go added time couple of couple of minutes of Portugal to salvage this game oh, it's all happening here Andre Silva's come off the bench Ronaldo's picked up the ball and the cross has come in and uh, Silva's hit the deck. Portuguese players, as you could imagine, calling for the penalty, but it's not happening. Full time, Stadio de Luz, Serbia 2, Portugal 1. They took the lead in the second minute. And then sat back. Serbia equalised. Portugal finished the first half strong. But Serbia looked dangerous from wide positions all game long. And Dusan Tadic with the cross in the 90th minute. Aleksandra Mitrovic heading home. And as you can imagine, they're exiting the building very quickly and the ones that are staying here a lot of them waving the white handkerchief Serbia I mean they deserve to go to the World Cup that's for sure they're a quality team but Portugal losing in Lisboa needless to say that's not good Fernando Santos is going to come under even more criticism in a way, so much of what we've seen here was predictable. You wonder if it's uh, 
Listen to the crowd. You wonder if there's just some overriding mentality that goes beyond Santosh. It's difficult to uh, to put this into words right now. Tom, you want to try and help me out here? Give me give, give me your thoughts uh, at this current moment. Well, I mean, look at the Serbian players there. They just can't believe it, can they? They're celebrating wildly, and and that it's like you say, they deserve it. You can't say they didn't deserve it. You know, they were the better team today. Portugal at home, needing only a draw. Dream start. You know, Serbia give away a terrible goal. First, first minutes, Portugal had everything to get the job done, and they just didn't. They just didn't, just never got going, never played well. You look out there, you know, which players put in a good performance? Bernardo Silva, you know, very good, but apart from him, uh, you know, just Portugal just were kind of in a straitjacket the whole time. Like you say, maybe it's a mental thing, they just couldn't get their game going. They just couldn't get their passing going. How many uh, how many saves did the Serbia keeper have to make? Zero, not not many, no, not many serious ones. They're all sort of just weak shots straight at him. But what's kind of interesting, Tom, is that we obviously saw that debacle at Euro 2020 with, with Germany um, with the wing-back formation. And we haven't really seen many teams with that quality playing that, that formation. But we obviously knew before this game, Serbia has so many weapons with Kostic, Tadic... Uh, Vlahovic, Mitrovic, and we saw all those guys come to the fore, didn't we? And 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 uh, being involved in, in in the two goals. So as I said, it, it's kind of predictable in a way. I mean, what do you make of the fact that, that Portugal, after two minutes, just sat back for so long? Is it? I mean, we've seen Santos here trying to drive the team forward. Is and I, if you remember at that Germany game when we broke that down, I said that. It's not just Santos should take the blame for this. The players, the experienced players on the pitch should be able to, you know, uh, galvanise those around them and, and recognise what needs to be done on the pitch. I mean, what are your thoughts on the way that they just retreated so and, and sat so deep after scoring the opening goal? Yeah, you know, that was obviously the fatal mistake. But they, again, that's quite, you know, that's quite easy for us to say, you know, well, you know it's a silly thing to do, but... Again, you see that so often, and of course, Serbia. Give credit to Serbia. You know, they needed to win. They were losing. They were obviously going to push forward. I suppose Portugal just really thought that they could catch them on the break. You know, kill the game completely. A second goal, it would have been game over. But, uh, but yeah, just I think the the thing which really disappointed me about Portugal today was just it's just seen a, a bit of a lack of courage in their performance, and they just seem to always leave the door open for Serbia. You know, and uh, never really had control of the game. Never really, you know, said, "Yeah, we're going to go to Qatar. We want this place." And uh, you know, like you said, that goal went in. You could hear a pin drop, and you have to say it wasn't a massive surprise. And on the balance of play, like I say, I think they deserve it. I think Serbia deserve it. They didn't outplay, outclass Portugal, but they, you know, after two teams, I think they were the better team tonight. Overall, they were the better team. They had more consistent performers. You'd have to say for Portugal, it was really only uh, Sanchez and Bernardo Silva that Panina looked okay off the bench. But apart from that, Nuno Mendes struggled. Joao Cancelo really didn't get into the game at all. We knew it was going to be difficult for him coming up against Kostic down his side. 
Um, but yeah, it was really only those two guys uh, that really... Ronaldo tried a bit hard at the end, but he really didn't do anything. Jota, I don't know how he lasted on the pitch so long. So it was almost like a two-man team against Serbia who had uh, the guys we've just mentioned. Uh, they just had more consistent performers. So. I think there was some that. I don't know what you, if you thought about this. I thought just Portugal were just... OK, so they're going to sit back, they're going to defend this lead. You know, they're in a strong position... Okay, if you're going to do that, at least defend well, you know, defend solidly. But Portugal never really looked capable of, you know, keeping Serbia at bay. I think Serbia, like you said, and, you know, it's obvious they're a good team. They showed that today. They passed it well. But, you know, Portugal just seemed to make some kind of sloppy mistakes, I thought, especially positionally at the left as well. Nuno Mendes, I don't really like to single him out because I don't think it was completely his fault, but... He always had in the first half Sivkovic in the second half uh, when Sivkovic came off it was another player but he, when they received the ball they always had the Serbians 10, 15, 20 yards to play with it and then you had the runners going on either side they were able to pick their passes you know and how many times they just drove into the box uh, you know got towards the byline really dangerous situation got the cross in okay Portugal managed to defend that but you know it's such a dangerous game and at the end of the day, that's what's cost them. The questions will continue to be asked of uh, Fernando Santos. The questions will continue to be asked of the mentality of this team. Are some of the players just too soft? Are, uh, you know, are we missing just more physicality, more, more aggression? You know, th- those sort of ideas are going to keep persisting. But I think we need to just sign off now and um, go and drink a, a Super Bowl or something. Uh, it's just completely disappointing. What what can you say? Okay, we've had some time to digest that result last night. I'm down in the lovely Alcutim on the Guadiana River. I'm looking over towards the Spanish border. I've had some time to reflect on what happened last night, and uh, I'm interested in the thoughts now of Tom Cundit, who was with me. Tom, how did you uh, how did you sleep last night, and, and uh, was the match was the match still on your mind this morning? Yeah, pretty much. You know, I was hoping maybe I'd wake up and find out it was all a nightmare, but no. Uh, you know, put on the telly first thing in the morning, and uh, obviously it was headline news all over Portugal. Really terrible you know the result okay serve you're a good team you can lose but just the manner of the defeat you know and after everything which has really happened after the island game it's just really very depressing unfortunately it is nathan what about you how did you sleep last night yeah you know similar to uh, tom and and to some comments i've seen on twitter as well i i also hoped it was a nightmare um I don't. I don't feel any better though today than I did yesterday. I'm. I'm still waiting to go through the, all the stages of, of grief here. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not through that cycle yet. So we'll see what happens at the end of it. I'm just uh, really uh, looking forward to the couple of matches tomorrow to to uh, you know hopefully see Portugal win, and uh, yeah try and get my mind off this. Look, yeah, as you know, listeners have already heard uh, Tom and I's discussion before, during, and after the match yesterday. And I've been thinking about it, and yeah, don't really have too much to add. I was, um, you know, I'll re- reiterate what I said, and I said this. I remember back in 
2018, I think, Confederations Cup that just annoys me that, uh, you know, Santosh's side, Portugal, they just let the opposition into their half with such ease. Um, you know, I don't mind if you don't press in the opposition half, but at least set up some sort of block on your halfway line. And of course, you know, we saw Portugal take the lead yesterday very early on, and then they just retreated, sat so, so deep, letting Serbia get around their 30, to Portugal's maybe 35 metre line, well over halfway. And I guess the other thing that I'll just reiterate is how the hell did Diogo Jota stay on until the 83rd minute? Not, he's obviously not a terrible player, but it wasn't one of his better games, that's for sure. He was just doing nothing. And considering you had Joao Felix, guys like Rafael Leal, even Geds on the bench, that was really, really alarming. So, look, Tom, I guess it's going to be full-on Fernando Santos talk now. Tell us what the, the major newspapers and, and, you know, what's happening there with, the, with the, the major media outlets. Yeah, well, first of all, just running quickly through the, you know, the free sports dailies, uh, the headlines were all pretty, you know, damning and conclusive in... Portugal's performance, uh, a baller there got this in giant black letters, miserável. I don't think I have to <laughs> translate that. Uh, describing the performance yesterday of a picture of Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes, just looking forlorn, looking into the air, Joao Felix, hands on hips. Subheadline says, Seresaltinha tudo a favor e tudo desperdiço. So... Portugal had everything in their favour and they just let it all go to waste. Uh, moving on to record, it says a Vergonha Mundial, which is a massive letters as well, which is again kind of a play of words. Mundial, of course, can mean the World Cup. Uh, it can also mean kind of worldwide. So you could take this as worldwide shame or disgrace uh, in that performance. And then it, in the subheadline, it says, Engineiro Comedo, and that's a Engineiro, the engineer. That's often how Fernando Santos is referred to. And they're just saying there, you know, the engineer was afraid. He was, uh, you know, full of fear. And we have to say that, uh, you know, that's a conclusion, really. We have to draw from how Portugal performed yesterday. Finally, the Jogo, that was an eclipse total. Uh, so, you know, just total eclipse, it says the Portugal started off uh, winning the game, then just completely disappeared off the pitch and failed in their bid to get directly qualified to the World Cup. So, yeah, papers, you know, as you can imagine, you know, quite easy to make headline grabbing, uh, you know, or attention grabbing headlines, which they certainly did. Uh, all over the media, though, there's been a lot of talk, of course, about Santos over recent weeks and months. A lot of pundits, a lot of the respected pundits have really been kind of, uh, you know, putting the knife in and saying, you know, this really wasn't what Portugal is all about, is not taking advantage of Portugal's strong points. Uh, and that's just kind of, you know, been, you have to say it has been kind of vindicated and that volume has gone up. And so, yeah, uh, you know, Santos in a very bad place. And let's see how the FPF react. I mean, obviously, after every Portuguese game, the, the, the Portugal uh, Twitter page and, and, you know, they usually uh, got quotes for, from players after the match and Santos after the match. But it looks like absolutely nothing here, Tom. Is this a matter of um, silence saying more than words? Yeah. So, sorry, you're talking about the FPF? Yeah, it doesn't seem to be much reaction from them at all. Even obviously they lost yeah. the game, but there just seems to be absolute silence from them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, you're yeah, bang on that. And I think that's quite telling. So I think they're, I can only imagine, they're kind of furiously in meetings with each other trying to decide what to do because they can't, you know, it can't be left just uh, like this. You know, it can't be left in silence. One way or the other, a decision has to be made because speculation is just, you know, going through the roof. Cause for Santos to be in sacked, really coming from all quarters. If the FPF decide that uh, they are going to stick with him, they really have to come out and say that, uh, you know, to at least stop this speculation. Otherwise, we're just going to be having this kind of talk for days, weeks, and that won't do anyone any good. So, uh, so yeah, just I can only imagine that they're really, you know, trying to decide what to do. Uh, I would certainly expect them to say something still this, you know, in the course of this week, maybe in the course of the next day or two. Uh, also, of course, if they are looking for a replacement, of course, maybe they're making phone calls and having discussions with a potential replacement. So that could also explain why they're not really saying anything right now. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't expect that silence to last very long. Yeah, it did seem that obviously, you know, I wrote that article about uh, Santosh and trying to give a perspective from, from the other side, but there was obviously a large percentage of, of people uh, thinking that he wasn't up to the job and he should have already be, been sacked. Of course, Tom, we were there and we saw the white handkerchiefs come out after the full-time whistle. Um, Nathan, I'm interested in your opinion here. Obviously, the FBF uh, could have sacked Santosh after Euro 2020. The main thrust of my article was that his contract was up till 2024. There was obviously a very good chance Portugal would qualify for the World Cup and they wouldn't, they wouldn't pull the trigger before that happened. Does what happened last night give FPF uh, reason to, to pull the trigger now? For sure. And my support of Fernando Santos ended, you know, for the record after the, the Euros when, you know, I saw the mentality of the team wasn't changing. You know, the performances reflected the mentality, you know, of the side. And, and by that point, we had seen kind of the same pattern repeat itself over and over to the point where I just I couldn't justify any more uh, maintaining that level of, of performance on the pitch. And, and last night really just, just confirmed it. You know, we were talking about the uh, the failure to maintain any semblance of, you know, here, this is our half of the field. We're going to defend it. Um, Rui Patricio had as many touches as Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, very telling. The heat map, bullseye, the most touches for any Portugal player uh, where, where they were uh, collected was in the penalty area between the six-yard box and uh, the penalty spot, reflecting Rui Patricio punching away crosses and defenders heading away crosses. Uh, we were under siege at home uh, in front of 65,000 people, you know, and I think that reflects a mentality which went wrong. But it didn't go wrong last night. You know, it went wrong a long time ago, and it's just perpetually built to a point where even a good opponent like Serbia, we've, we've created no contest for them. You know, I, I'll echo Bernardo Silva's words because I think he put it really well. He said there weren't 10 minutes in the match when Portugal were better than Serbia. And I 100% agree. All of that down to the mentality of the team is radically different than it was, say, back in the 2016 era when we competed against Croatia, uh, France, uh, and at, at the start uh, the Stade de France, uh, Saint Denis, in front of a packed house, and endured an onslaught for you know for 120 minutes, and still came away 
uh, with the victory. It's a radically different mentality shift. And so that's that's why I think it, it's the times now to, to move on from Fernando Santos. All due respect to, to him for his accomplishments. Tom, we were obviously doing the podcast throughout Euro 2020. And, you know, we just gave it to Santos after that Germany game. It was the biggest debacle I think I've ever seen from, from Portugal. Um, it was just a disgrace from all levels, from him to the players, to the coaches, to the scouts, to the analysts, the whole the whole system just completely broke down. So, you know, honestly, I wouldn't have been that, that fussed if they had to pull the trigger after that game. You know, obviously, it's very, very rare for, for a manager to be sacked mid-tournament. But, you know, even if they had waited till, till they got knocked out after that Belgium game, they could have used that, that performance against Germany as, as the justification for sacking him. I mean, it was just an, an absolute abomination. So um, where are you on, on this, Tom? Where are you on, on Santos and, and, and the playoffs and, and the World Cup? Yeah, it's very interesting. I think listening there to Nathan saying quite a lot of the things which you were saying to me yesterday, Matt, when you were sat beside me, you know, talking about the mentality of the players. Uh, it just seemed to be, uh, you know, a, a mentality issue, really. The fact, you know, not taking the game to Serbia, you know, you're at home, you've got everything in your favour, you know, you get an early goal, quite a lucky early goal, terrible mistake by the opposition. You know, you just just go and grab the game by the scruff of its neck. And they just did completely the opposite. And I think with Fernando Santos, also one thing you have to say, I've been less vocal in my opposition to him because I've, I just thought, you know, maybe he could turn it round still. Uh, but, you know, what, what do you get with Santos or what did we get, you know, in the, the good days with Santos? OK, not very exciting football, but you had a solid team, you know. Nathan just mentioned it there, 2016. But even beyond that, you had a solid team, good defensive team, very, very hard to break down. You know, in his first four or five years, how many competitive games did he lose? Something ridiculous, one or two or something. Just did, Portugal just didn't lose. But you saw them yesterday and they were just so porous, the defence. You know, it was so easy. It seemed. You know, Nuno Mendes, always about 20 yards from the player he was supposed to be marking. Uh, again, don't really want to pick him out too much because maybe it wasn't his fault. It was more the system. But if you take out Santos' style of play, if you take out that solid defence, you know, there's kind of nothing there. Nathan, we saw a little bit of um, a little bit of footage of uh, the handshake between Santos and Ronaldo yesterday, a little bit cold. Uh, Santos sort of brushed it off afterwards, saying they're both, uh, both upset. But what do you think the possibility is that someone like Ronaldo could lose faith in Santos, let's say, and obviously someone like Ronaldo would have so much influence in in the team, but mainly probably with the FPF. And what would the chances be that Ronaldo might just be like, let's just let's just cut Santos loose. He, he's 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 past his best. If if there are calls being going around today between the FPF uh, potential managers coming in, do you think Ronaldo would be included in that? And and what do you think his position position might be with Santos? It's it's rarer. You know, historically, for Ronaldo to come out against a manager, the only time I can I can think of that he made you know a genuinely disparaging comment in public, um, which which was you know subtle. You had to read into it. Was after the the 2010 World Cup exit when you know he, he told reporters to go ask Carrage why they had been eliminated from from that tournament, um, and you know indicating he was displeased with the way that he had been used as a number nine in, in that tournament and all that. Um, but you know I I think I'll, I'll echo the, the the feelings of some. I think Ronaldo has earned some right to influence where this team goes. He's the captain. 
uh, has been so for, for a very long time now. Um, it's not about the records of goals or, or any of that. Um, it's, it's just about the, the level of you know, influence that he carries with the team as well. You want the captain and the manager to be um, in the same mind about where the team is going. And so I think the, the federation should respect that. Um, you know, that said, I think there's abundant evidence already on the table, independent of what Ronaldo has to offer uh, regarding whether Santos should or should not be kept. In my opinion, it's a very clear picture. There's, there's no subtleties or nuance anymore. It's a matter of where this team has consistently performed well below the level of their potential. Um, and, and I would even say that includes, you know, Cristiano's performance. I think that he was amazing against Ireland to bail us out, but the level of involvement that he's had in these games has also decreased because of the way that the team is playing. So you, you'd like to think the Federation wouldn't even need to ask Ronaldo's permission, you know, to, to make a, a good judgment here and part ways with with this manager. And I think that that's my take on that. Uh, Ronaldo will likely uh, want to have at least some say. None of us are ever going to hear about what you know, he offers them. But I would think as the captain and as concerned as he probably is with you know, ending his career well with Portugal, I, I would think he would want to have at least some say. And that will likely carry some weight, if, if I'm honest. Tom, if the FPF are indeed discussing... Sacking Santos, do you think they're going to include Ronaldo? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, you know, he's the greatest player of all time, isn't he? Come on, we're talking about Ronaldo here. He's basically carried Portugal, hasn't he, on his back for 10 years or 15 years. He's, he's earned the right, really. I know we sh- should never say the one player, you know, kind of dominates the team. But, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo is a very special player and he, uh, I think there's no doubt about it. I think he still remains our most dangerous weapon. So obviously it's very important that he is in tune with uh, whatever the FBF decide to do. And he is fully behind it, you know, and he can get behind, uh, hopefully, the a new man at the helm. And, you know, everyone's pointing in the, in the same direction. So, uh, you know, I think also, you know, Ronaldo, I think is an intelligent guy. I think that's one of the reasons why his career has just been prolonged so much I think it's one facet of his game which is a little bit underrated his football intelligence just look at the way he's finished uh, his, his, his managed his his career and his playing style and uh, you know I'm sure he can see as, I don't know maybe it's a little bit difficult when you're kind of right in the in the midst of it but I'm sure if you could just step back and see it's gone on for so long now it's just not working no, it's just not working and it's not getting better. It's getting worse, it seems to be, with Santos. And so we all remember those scenes when uh, Portugal were celebrating Euro 2016 and in the dressing room and Ronaldo just gave such a kind of stirring speech and put Santos at the centrepiece and, uh, you know, justifiably so, saying how he was such an important, he played such an important role, you know, in Portugal's greatest ever triumph. But, uh, you know, that was four years ago. And uh, I think, simply simply put, Fernando Santos, his credit has run out. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough to come up with any other um, conclusion, really. You know, I'll just reiterate what I said again. You know, he could have easily gone just for that performance against Germany alone. He could have gone after Euro 2020. If Ronaldo hadn't have scored those two goals against Ireland to bail us out in, uh, in the Algarve, he could have gone then too. 
and he can obviously go now. So it's it's for me, it's absolutely no no drama at all. I won't cry about it. I will uh, I will look forward to see who the new manager will be, and uh, look with uh, look forward with tre- tremendous anticipation to see what the new manager will do. With arguably, I don't even know if it's arguable anymore. You know, the best generation, the best group of players Portugal has has ever produced. I mean, is is that even debatable? Yeah, I would just say these these players have a ceiling that I think is arguably the highest. Whether or not they reach that ceiling at this point is debatable, um, and that that's that's that seems harsh for some, but I I don't think so based on what I'm seeing on the pitch. You know, with Ronaldo still bailing this team out, I'm not really seeing anybody else step in to produce that type of effect from midfield from from any position, you know, and, you know, it used to be back in the day we talked about, well, why can't we get a striker to score more goals? You know, now it's, it's all over the place. We've got performers all over the pitch, strikers, wingers, uh, midfielders, and none of them are playing you know, particularly well. Uh, independent of what Santos has or hasn't done to this team's mentality and the tactics. And we could, we could wax indignant about that for, for hours, I'm sure. But these players right now, I don't quite deserve that specific merit of the best generation ever. They have the highest potential ceiling ever, but but we'll see if they get there or not. And they they need to earn that. Tom, you would? Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, it's a question. Also, it's a question of team, isn't it? Because that you could say individually, okay, one by one, looking at the players, this must be certainly if it's not the best generation, it's very close. Just look at what the players are doing at their club sides. And look at the the importance of the clubs they're playing for and the role they play. You know, Portugal, you know, going right back to 2000. Uh, fortunately, we've had great players doing well in your, you know, some of the big European clubs. But I can never remember so many doing so well. You know, you've got the three guys at Manchester City. That's just like I think most people would agree, probably the best club side in the world over the last four or five years, or and perhaps uh, you know this year or right at this moment, you got. Ruben Diaz, Bernardo Silva, and Joao Cancelo, absolutely key components of that team. Uh, you know, you've got Ronaldo, of course. Uh, you've got Joao Felix, okay, blows a bit hot and cold for Atletico, but when he's on it, you can just see he's a very special talent. And you've got, of course, Bruno Fernandes, who's just been an absolute star of his club for the last four or five years, both in in Portugal and, uh, and then when he went to United. But I have to agree with, uh, you know, with Nathan, you can have... It's fantastic. You can just have the, you know, the best group of players. If it doesn't gel as a team, you know, does does it really matter? And like actually Fernando Santos, one thing he actually says, and one thing I, I mentioned to you a few times, Matt, is, uh, you know, you can only play eleven players, and I think it's a bit of a problem. Uh, well, uh, a bit of a problem. It's a bit unlucky in some ways that Portugal have got some. Incredible players, but perhaps three of their biggest stars, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes and Joao Felix, you know, you could argue they are all pretty much the same kind of player. Uh, and so, you know, the talent isn't perhaps spread around the pitch, whereas, you know, in the 2000s, you had Figo, you had Fernando Couto, you had Vitor Bahia, you had kind of, you know, it seemed to be a little bit more distributed, the the talent we have. So, so yeah, uh, I think, uh, you know, Nathan uh, got a fantastic way of words as usual I think he put it really well you know perhaps this is the generation of players which has the the highest ceiling but I don't think they've earned the right to uh, you know call themselves the best generation in Portugal 
uh, given their performances as a team. Interesting, interesting. Okay, guys, it's a shame we had to meet up again in these sorts of uh, circumstances, I guess. But um, interesting to, to hear your thoughts, and uh, it's going to be even more interesting to see what the FPF does today or in the coming days. Nathan, thanks for your time, mate. What, what do you got going on coming up until uh, Christmas, New Year? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm working on a couple things, actually. Um, I won't, won't uh, spoil it too much. But I'll be doing a lot of investigation on the uh, playoff opponents for sure. That's going to be a big uh, focus, and I'll probably write up some type of preview on that. A lot to talk about between now and March, especially if we get a new manager. But even if we don't, uh, we have to to begin to you know pick at what's available to us, the players, the potential tactics, and and think about how we're gonna we're gonna get through a, a semifinal and a final. Uh, so that that's going to be occupying a lot of my time, my bandwidth. <laughs> no worries, mate. All the best to you and your family over the uh, the festive uh, season. Tom, what's going on with you, mate? March now is a long time, isn't it? So I think the focus will switch to club football, and uh, you know, fortunately, things are going uh, a lot better for my club <laughs> <laughs> rather than my country. So uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to hopefully seeing sporting continue to thrive in Portugal and it's uh, uh, the, the whole Portuguese uh, you know race this season title race so hopefully you know all three Portuguese clubs well four actually because I should include Braga can uh, you know do Portugal proud in European competition and maybe restore a bit of pride uh, which uh, has been lost a little bit with the Celeste I guess I forgot the one positive to come out of this is that Portugal get to play two more games <laughs> and Ronaldo gets a chance to, uh, to score some goals. But no, I'll uh, head over to Faro tomorrow to catch the under-17s final qualifier and then uh, see the under-21s uh, in their qualification. And then uh, it's my birthday on Wednesday, so I'll head up to uh, Sintra, have a nice uh, evening there before. Uh, happy Thanks, birthday. mate. Yeah, happy birthday, Thanks, mate. mate. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Awesome. Good, good venue. venue. You chose a good yeah, venue. Can't go wrong. For it. Okay, thanks for uh, listening, everyone. And don't forget to check in with Portugal.net. Uh, we've got everything. Club, news, Salasal, under-21s, under-17s, you name it. It's all happening. So take it easy. Thanks for listening. And Forza.